Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Okay, so full disclosure about my guest here today. He's a listener to the podcast and reached out to me to introduce himself and share his enthusiasm for recruiting trailblazers, which was very nice of him. Anyway, we had a great chat and I pitched him the idea of coming on the podcast. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, it's because Michael only has a year's experience as a recruiter, but it occurred to me that his perspective as a relative newbie could be just as enlightening as that of an industry veteran. And of particular interest to me is actually Michael's brand building and content development strategy, which we'll dive into later today. Plus, Michael's got a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in human resources management. So he's a pretty smart guy. So welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers, Michael Boynton. Hey, Marcus. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on board. And uh, thanks for, you know, all your messages of support around the, the podcast recently. I really appreciate it. Um so look, basically, you had a COVID career epiphany, didn't you? And suddenly decided that you wanted to become a recruiter a year ago. How did that happen? Well, I had been uh, in HR a little bit. I kind of had a dual role before I came into recruiting. Um, but basically, when when COVID happened, I was doing a lot of work in event production. And you know that really hurt the, the business and a lot of events shut down. And what I really wanted to do was I started to use LinkedIn a lot to build the advertising for the company. And while on the platform, I had noticed that so many people were creating content and I just started to jump in and network and started to write my own stuff. And then through lots of different conversations, I basically decided that recruitment would be the best place for me to use those talents that I'd already built up. And that started, you know, a year and a half process and to finally break it into the industry. Okay. Um, so how did you finally break in? Well, I, I ended up getting a job doing you know, audiovisual work, but I met a lady through LinkedIn. Um, we had talked once and she was a recruiter and then I had saw her. She had a posting about doing some part-time sourcing. So I reached out to her. I didn't really have any experience doing real sourcing, but you know, I talked to her and told her how passionate I was about the field. And she brought me on as a part-time sourcer. And the job I had, I was able to use some of my free time to do a lot of sourcing on the side. And that's where I really got started. So it was really a part-time gig in the beginning. So look at you now, 12 months in, cooking with gas. Excellent. And you've arrived in the most candidate-driven market possibly of all time. This must have been quite an interesting year for you, right? It was. The, the crazy part is that I was looking for jobs all over the place, like in 2020. And that was when everything was shut down. Nobody was hiring. Everybody was on a hiring freeze. And then basically, you know, I ended up getting a job just to pretty much pay the bills. And then I hadn't really looked that much, but I finally got this side hustle job doing the, rec the recruiting. And it was literally the craziest market I've ever seen. And everybody was telling me that every time I would talk to them. It's just everybody you put out there is getting multiple offers. Things are moving so fast. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy to see having been on one side of the process and then switching to the other side of the process and seeing how it all took off. Yeah. And now you're recruiting for a big fintech brand and uh, loving the life, yeah? 
I am. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I really like to balance the outreach and also still get to work on my content game and spend a lot of time networking. That's the best thing about recruiting really is being able to talk to people. Indeed. Um, How hard do you think it is these days to stay positive, you know, from a mindset perspective in such a tough market where it's getting harder and harder to engage with candidates? I mean, what's your mindset? I think for me, you have to go in knowing that there's going to be a lot of failure. I think that's always true in recruiting, but now it's even more so. And I think you just have to really hold on to your small wins. So even those interactions where you don't necessarily make a placement with that person, uh, you know, I had, I was sourcing for a sales position a few months ago and I had just had this guy on the phone didn't end up getting the position, but we talked multiple times for like an hour at a time. And it was just a great conversation. I really think you have to hold on to those moments, even if they don't necessarily lead into a victory or a placement. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I totally agree with you because I think every conversation you have with a candidate, you know, makes it for a better day. And you can chalk another one up, especially if you're taking, you know, a relationship driven approach, which we're going to go to go into a little bit later as well to, to every call that you make. Um, how does the reality of your role as a recruiter kind of differ with the benefit of hindsight, of course, from your expectations going into it? I think when I when I was doing the, the side hustle, you know, and not really showcasing it that I'm doing it online or really presenting that brand very much because it was something I was doing on the side. And when I got into a company, I figured, oh, I'm going to start just getting messages from people and constant reach outs. And that's not happening either. And, you know, I still get them, of course, but it's I kind of expected that the pivot into, you know, a brand behind me would lead to tons of outreach, but I'm still having to do the legwork to get out there, which I still enjoy, but I did not expect that going in. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people, when they hear about the recruiting profession, they think that it's a very inbound profession. In other words, we're dealing with applications and stuff all the time. But obviously, as an agency recruiter myself, that's never been the case. Well, very rarely has that been the case. This is an outbound, a very proactive industry where you are constantly reaching out and constantly having those first conversations with candidates and obviously clients as well on the, you know, on the agency side. Um, What would you say has been your biggest aha moment to date? You know, in the last year, what's what's really sort of sticks out as your biggest aha moment? I think the biggest aha moment I've had as a recruiter specifically would be kind of like what we were saying before, which is it's really all about that first conversation that you have with the with the candidate. And that's really where you can learn so much about them. And and you and I have talked about this before, but your goal in that conversation isn't necessarily to pitch them on the role itself, but it's really to learn about them to see how you can work together at all. And those are really the best conversations. And I've really been trying to work on that lately in my in my new role. Yeah, yeah, I put that podcast out a couple of weeks ago, which outlined my relationship before role framework which I call REACT, which stands for Rapport, Explore, Acknowledge, Confirm. And that's right. That's well worth listening to as well. But yeah, I mean, is that the strategy you've adopted? Are you all about building relationships with candidates rather than sort of going in with that transactional mindset of I've got an amazing role I'd love to run by you? Well, you know, it's funny because I 
I always lean towards that in my outreach, but I think when you first start a new recruiting role, it's very easy to get caught up in the initial outreach numbers, right? So you get you you want to get in there, you want to hit the ground running, and you're like, what's the best way to do that? Well, the best way to do that is to send a bunch of in-mails and a bunch of emails from Gem, and that's how you get the outreach. And you get good success with that, but now that I've been doing it for a little bit, I'm trying to pivot back to more of that relational approach. Right. Yeah. And is that working more effectively for you or have you been trained to do it that way or have you been trained to do it in a more transactional way? I think a lot of people do it in the more transactional way because I think it, it's kind of like a numbers game. That's what a lot of people talk about. It's, you know, your your funnel and your pipeline, how many in-mails do I have to send in order to get, you know, three candidates presented, et cetera, et cetera. And what I want to do is curate a, a more referral network approach, as you've talked about on the podcast before, and really center it around those discussions with people. So it's more, it changes the strategy of how you message and how you talk to people. And the thing I will add is that it's it's a slow process, um, as you've probably noticed, that you can't just start doing that and then all of a sudden you get results. So it's more of a slow game, and I've only recently started implementing it. Yeah, and therein lies the problem because so many recruiters are trying to meet metrics on a weekly basis, that they're forced into transactional behaviors because they need to get candidates straight into the pipeline. So they pitch hard, you know, with the role out of the gate. And, you know, it's a hit and miss kind of affair, isn't it? But if you do take a bit more time and you go for more of a relationship over role approach, then you start to build a referral network because these are people who begin to trust you and you begin to sort of establish your authority in the space and you'll be able to phone them up in the future and talk to them about more roles and more ideas that you have that reconcile with everything that you found out about them in the first place. And plus, most importantly of all, you'll be able to ask them for referrals, which, you know, I'd much rather just phone up 10 people I know and ask for referrals than reach out to 100 people that I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you really touched on one of the most important parts that you have is you almost have to drop your your goals entirely, not necessarily the numbers goal, but more like when you reach out to somebody to talk to them, your goal should just be to learn about them. The the, the jobs that you have available should be the last thing on your mind. And I, I see that when you're networking, even without being a recruiter, is that you really have to drop that mindset and really change it to just trying to focus it on that person rather than focusing it on yourself and the roles you're trying to fill. Right. Because it's obvious when you're trying to satisfy your own needs when you're speaking to a candidate, as opposed to trying to satisfy their needs. And so if you just focus 100%, you know, for most of the call on satisfying their needs and really understanding, you know, what it is that they're truly looking for, then you're going to be in a much more powerful position, you know, to present those roles um, if and when they're relevant, right? Yeah, it actually goes back to this book that I read um, a few months ago. And when I first got the side hustle position as a recruiter, um, the person who connected me with my eventual partner uh, was she told me to read this book called The Go-Giver. And I had already kind of had that mindset. The whole point of that book is that when you're trying to sell or bring people into a product you have or in your in when you're recruiting, the goal is to give as much as possible and that eventually you have to trust that that will come back to you at some point. And that's kind of how I see my conversations with people is you give and you try to get you try to help them in that process. And then if there's something to get from it, that it will come. You just have to trust it. 
Yeah. You're basically using the social contract that we abide by in business because that's how you establish trust, you know, socially and you, how you build friendships and get to know people. You don't try and transact people out the gate. You don't go up to people on the street and ask them to borrow 20 bucks before you've got to know them. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've made so far and what, what did you learn from it? Well, I think it's the same mistake we've been talking about is approaching your conversations with a transactional mindset. I mean, it's really easy to slip back into it. I've, I've done it recently. I've done it in the past. I mean, before I got the side hustle, I had a uh, conversation with a guy who owns a recruiting company. And, you know, I kind of thought before the conversation, I'd been trying this approach of just reaching out to people and connecting with them organically and not really having that ask. But then this guy was like, he ran a recruiting company. And I was like, this is going to be the talk. Like, this is what's going to break me through. And we had a talk and I don't think it didn't go very well, I don't think. And that's because I hadn't shifted my mindset or I had let that slip just a little bit. And if you you really have to keep it front and center when you're going into these conversations and be really mindful when you're having the chat, because you can just slip right back into your habits. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I've been recruiting for 20 plus years and it's still very tempting when you've got a cracking role and a candidate who on paper or on their profile just looks like the perfect fit. It's very hard to resist the temptation of getting on the phone with them for the very first time and telling them that saying, Oh my God, I've got this amazing role. that I think you're going to absolutely love. And let me tell you all about it. And it's, it's so tempting to do that. But if that person says, no, I'm not interested in that company or that role, then you've wasted the chance of getting that person into your network and becoming an influence. So I always say, do it the other way around. Let's talk about candidate messaging, because that's the other really important touch point today in this very candidate driven market that we need to focus on is the way in which we reach out to candidates and the stakes, you know, they've got a lot higher recently in the messaging department because there's so many recruiters out there vying for the attention, you know, of every good candidate. So what's your sort of perspective on messaging and what are you, what are you trying to do to differentiate yourself from other recruiters and brands? I try to get down to the core of why that person would want to come to this role. It's more than just the benefits or the salary or whether our company is growing. It's more about, so if you're recruiting for marketing, what's something that a marketing person would be really attracted to? I think that's what I try to figure out. I don't always land on that, but I think that's, you got to shift your focus when you're doing mass messaging and shift it for what's, what's a market, what's going to get a marketing person excited and that not that might not necessarily be money or cool benefits or even your company's brand, but what's going to get them up out of bed to do the job? Right. Not a job description per se, but the benefits that they might enjoy by taking a look at this role when you're reaching out to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, like you said, it's not just the job description. You're not just writing the job description, but you're really trying to get at what is going to get them excited to do the role? Like, what? why are marketing people excited to do marketing? And I think it's also about how you, what kind of groups you follow and different people you follow. Like, you really want to get in there with people who do marketing on a daily basis, even if they're not somebody you're going to outreach to for a role, so that you can learn more about the process and really understand what makes those people tick. Maybe including stuff like specific challenges, um, the impact that that person could make, the opportunities for career progression, but just keeping the messaging all about them is is what I think works the best instead of this is what we want, this is what we're looking for, this is what we need. And that doesn't resonate nearly as much. 
Um, what about personalization? Something we talk about a lot on this podcast is actually taking the time to prove to everybody that you reach out to that you're speaking specifically to them. Is that something that you do or? Yeah, I do it in kind of an A-B testing type of way. So I'll have like maybe half of my messages will be unpersonalized if I'm trying to get, you know, trying to get a lot of numbers out. And then the other half will be, I'll either do it through messaging or even just through connection requests. That's where I put my most effort into the personalization piece of it. Because when I write that connection request, I don't have a template. I just try to read their profile and then shoot from the hip on that one. Because that's those are the kind of connections I want to have where I at least want to talk to that person to learn more about marketing or whatever role that I'm sourcing for and learn more about them. That, so that's where I use my most personalization. And what does a typical connection request from you look like? Usually I always start off with the, Hey, hope you're having a great day. And then I go into something, something about their experience that I find really interesting. Or even I like to throw in a question in there. I was looking for people who are really heavy in email. And so I threw a question in there that was like, you know, I send a lot of emails out as a recruiter and I'm really curious what you think differentiates email since we get so many now. And, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily get tons of feedback every single time. But I think that approach is just gets people talking to you. That's really the way to get started. Yeah. I mean, are you soft connecting as in sort of not really putting a call to action there? Or or are you identifying yourself as a recruiter who's basically about to run a role by them? I think when you asked me about mistakes before, that's another thing too. It's like, like I said, it's just always so easy to slip back in that transitional, uh, transactional mindset. And I you really have to drop all of your intentions of selling him on that job. And I've been trying to do that more and more, but yeah, that is the goal. That's, that's the goal that you don't always hit is when you send that connection request, you want it to be as organic as possible. So it doesn't look like you're trying to be like, Hey, I hope you're doing really well. That's a really cool email you sent. Here's this job. And it's so obvious when you do that, that they immediately, you immediately turn them off. Yeah. And I think the other thing that people find annoying and quite boring these days is when somebody sends you like one of these bland or generic connection requests, like, Hey, I noticed that we're connected to three of the same people, you know, let's connect. And then you notice that they're a career coach or they, they write books, ghost write books for a living or something like that. And you just know the second you accept that request, the sales pitch is going to come in and it never fails. It always comes in. And so I think taking a slightly different approach to connecting with people when you're a recruiter is going to pay off eventually in the long run by slowing the whole process down a little bit. Okay. Don't go from connection request to I've got an amazing role. Go from connection request, soft connect request to, you know, asking a question about their career or the company. How are you enjoying it over there at the moment at uh, whatever Microsoft? Um, I noticed you've been there for five years. It must be a great place to work or something just to get the conversation going before you just go straight in there and pitch because then you get a yes or no answer straight away, don't you? You really do. And I think you bring up a really good point that I think a lot of recruiters probably struggle with, myself included, is you're honestly scared to take that approach because it feels like you're not working. Like that, honestly, if you're just sending out connection requests with no intention of having a, a pitch, it feels like, well, that's not working at all. That's not recruiting. But I think you have to really drop that into something I've worked on myself, which is I'm going to spend time just reaching out to people organically and not pitch them at all. And that's really hard because it feels like you're not doing anything. It can be really scary. Yeah. Well, the other thing you can do when you connect with somebody is offer them something, you know, a PDF that you've written that maybe summarizes a part of their job or something that they could find useful, maybe a giveaway. 
um, and start driving a bit of value in there. And then maybe wait a week before they've seen a few of your posts. I mean, you're a prolific poster now. And so that person, <laughs> because of the narrow connection, they're going to start to see that you post about interesting stuff and it's not a transactional approach that you take. And so then you're warming them up. And then they're prime for you to reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you sometime about what you're doing over there at Microsoft and, you know, how potentially I might be able to, you know, help you in the future. It's always good to have a, a great recruiter in your back pocket. You know, let's have a chat. Or you can go slightly more transactional and go and say, I do have a specific role that I'd love to talk to you about. But first, you know, let's have a chat and get to know each other. So I think there's lots of different ways that you can do that. Um, but I think it's important to remember, no, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl who reaches out, gets the connection request accepted, and then goes straight in with the pitch. Because I think people are getting over that now. Um, you talked about LinkedIn Recruiter. You mentioned Gem. Are those your main two tools for reaching out to people? Yes, definitely. I use LinkedIn the most, mostly because I am active on that platform a lot. So I I like how it looks. I like how people's profiles look. And it really... I, I think the search engine is pretty good on there and I use that a lot. And Gem, I just find really helpful for one data collection. Uh, LinkedIn doesn't really give you the best data collection when it comes to outreach stats, but Gem really does and it integrates with LinkedIn. And I really like the way that Gem saves people's profiles and makes it really easy to access and even set reminders on people that you've talked to. And that's really helpful for the soft connections too. Like, oh, let me set a reminder for a month from now to reach out to Gary about this, you know, about how he's doing. Yeah. I actually don't use Gem, but everybody talks about it. So I'm sure it's a fantastic tool. Um, what kind of data collection are you actually talking about? What are the stats that you enjoy looking at? Well, the thing I like the most about Gem is that it integrates with your LinkedIn in-mails and then it gives you the easy percentages numbers. So, and it also attaches to your email and it combines both of those together. So I think with, I'm sure LinkedIn does it, but it, I just don't find it as intuitive as Gem. So I can go into Gem, click my project, and it tells me you've reached out to 100 people and 30 have applied and six are interested and four were converted and applied. Because it, it integrates with your LinkedIn messaging, it integrates with your email, and it goes to Greenhouse or whatever your ATS is. And it all comes together in one platform. And obviously, it's a sequencing software as well, sequencing emails so that you can set and forget your sort of email approach. You could personalize it to whatever extent you want to. But then, you know, every two or three days, it's like a drip email campaign, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it also does email um, parsing as well. So it'll scan people's other profiles to get emails too. Yeah. And do you find it more effective in terms of response rates than LinkedIn Recruiter? I would say... From my small amount of data that I've collected, I would say no. Um, I still think emails are tough uh, because you don't know whether or not they're going to respond to them. I do get a lower response rate on email, but I think it's good to have as a backup. You know, I'm no expert on that. And I haven't collected that much data, but it, I do see it as kind of a backup because I do get pretty good response rates from in-mail. And then sometimes emails will filter in afterwards, but my initial response rate on in-mail is better. Yeah. And you never know where the your email's going into their junk, or if it's even an email address that they use anymore. So right. there are some limitations to that approach. But anyway, I've heard great things about Gem, so, and they're doing very well as a company, I believe. So other tech tools in the recruiting process, is there anything else that you use or you've leveraged or you've got really good at or you've automated? Uh, automation is something I really want to get more into, especially when it comes to content creation. So 
planning out your content in advance to post things. Um, I've dabbled in, in Twitter a little bit. I do like it. It seems like it has a lot of potential. Uh, I know people have talked a lot about actually recruiting from there. Um, and I think Twitter is a much different animal than LinkedIn. And we can get into that if you want. But I've gotten into that a little bit. And I've even gotten some response on Reddit. I think Reddit is much better suited for tech roles um, and that you know, people could probably debate about that, and it's a difficult platform to break into. But I have gotten responses from that platform as well. Cool. Well, I mean, one of the reasons that we were going to do this podcast is because of your branding and content development prowess. Um, so let's get into that for a while. You've become a pretty prolific content creator on LinkedIn, and you've you've touched on it a couple of times in our conversation already. But what's your overall mindset on content development and and where it's taking you? Well, I think the big thing for me with content development is that I started doing it before I was into recruiting. And I think that really changed my mindset when it came to recruiting. So in a weird way, I actually I was creating content and writing stuff and engaging on people's posts and networking a ton. And then it's I really enjoyed doing that. And I wanted a career where I can continue to do that. And it seemed like recruiting was the best place to use those skills. And so it was almost like recruiting was secondary when it came to content creation for me. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I don't see a ton of recruiters doing this consistently. And I still think there's a huge opportunity for good recruiters to become great content developers and then just really excel in their role, whether they're in-house or whether they are in an agency. I think there's a fantastic opportunity still to really stick your head above the parapet in LinkedIn and say, you know, here I am and I'm going to post every day or every couple of days, uh, you know, a pearl of wisdom or, you know, a piece of advice or a little story that resonates. And um, before you know what's going on, you know, everybody in your network knows who you are because we've all got thousands of connections now. And how many of those people do we really know? But when you start posting, they start seeing your content regularly. And through the podcast, I've got to know a lot more of the people in my network than I ever did before. It's been actually a real boon to my business. So um, the thing about content development that I think everybody struggles with, apart from coming up with good ideas to post on, is the ROI. It's like we are transactional beasts at heart, us recruiters, and it's hard to really determine what the ROI is on content development. And so I think a lot of people shy away from it. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree. It is really hard to measure those results. But I think the key is, and again, this is another another scary thing that we've hit on, is if you want to be a successful content creator, I think at least in the beginning, you have to drop that idea of what I, what am I going to get from this? I think the, those lead to the less authentic posts because even your posts can be transactional because I think, you know, a lot of recruiters will hear, oh, I need to post more on LinkedIn. So, you know, they'll throw their job post and throw the, the greenhouse link or whatever the link is on there and expect that to really take off. But it's just really not a way to do it. A, you know, better practice is to write a little bit of copy about that position and then put the link at the bottom in the comments. And because people want to hear from you, they don't necessarily want to click on whatever link. Indeed. And do you actually have a strategy? Do you have a content development strategy where you sit down from nine till 10 o'clock every morning and write two or three posts and then sort of like publish them throughout the day or through the week? How do you get into this? I really like to collect my thoughts. I use my voice recorder on my phone. If I have a thought, I'll throw it in there. And then I like to post in the morning. Um, 
when you talk about content development strategy, that's something I'd really like to get into more and something I, I need to do personally is where you sit down in advance and plan out what you're going to write with the intention of what kind of things you're going to talk about for that week and how it fits with what you're trying to do and who you're trying to influence and who you're trying to reach. Yeah, there's a guy that I follow. I think I mentioned this to you before, a guy called Justin Welsh, who um, he's got about 200,000 followers on LinkedIn. And he is yep. he's the man when it comes to content creation. And he's actually written a very, very popular course on how to leverage LinkedIn and create great content. So Justin Welsh is definitely worth a follow. Absolutely. Um, what are some of your favorite or who are some of your favorite content creators? Well, Justin, you, you mentioned Justin. He's great just because he's really great for learning about how to be strategic about what you're doing. I think that's the biggest thing you'll get from him. Um, honestly, one of the biggest influencers early on in my content posting, one of the people who inspired me to start doing it is this, uh, this lady named Elizabeth Morgan. Um, she used to be in recruitment and now she's actually she actually works for one of the eight big ATS companies and she does you know social media marketing and content creation for them basically because she built her entire you know built her entire brand around LinkedIn in the days when LinkedIn wasn't even that popular and she just got so good at posting job advice that eventually people brought her on to do it for their company yeah fantastic um and we all know you know some of the other usual suspects all of their first names begin with J, Joel Lalji, <laughs> James Hornick, Jesse Tinsley, Joe Marling. Yep. What about some of your highest performing posts? I mean, let's break it down a little bit here. Um, I've got some of your posts in front of me here, so I could go through them. But do you have any oh, really? specific posts that you have published and have really done well for you? Because everybody's trying to figure out what to post and what subject to post and what format to post in as well. Yeah, you know, I thought about this a lot before we talked. And I really wanted to hit on the posts that got the most engagement and the people that are when people respond to you and actually talk on the post. Cause I think, I think it's a really a different way to measure your post. And I think some people really get hung up on like how many views did it have, but you can have a post that has, you know, 3000 views and you got like no comments on it. And I think that's a lot less successful than a post that had a thousand views and you had 20 comments on it. If that makes sense. So some of my, Biggest ones that I, I went and looked back and really enjoyed are some of my polls, actually. Um, and the, it's polls that I really enjoyed writing. And you really have to curate the poll and make it well-written so it doesn't have an obvious answer. And that how it that's how it generates the most engagement. And that's what you're really trying to go for, is people responding and talking on your post. Right. As long as you're presenting you know, a valid point and you're putting the poll out there for a very good reason, other than just to get likes and comments, right? Yeah, the best po the best polls are the ones when you actually want to know the answer. So the, I think one of my best performing ones, it was even like when I first started doing the side hustle on recruiting, I did one about what's the best way to collect data. It was like in the ATS or just on a spreadsheet or in some other fashion. And I tagged a couple of key people like Amy Miller and Joel and a couple of people like that. And it just got tons of engagement. And like every recruiter I tagged came on and commented. And that is just something... That's kind of the goal when you write the poll is that you got to put something out there that you actually want to know. Don't just put something out there. You already know the answer. You don't even care what people say. That's not even fun anyway. Yeah. And there's also too many polls on LinkedIn anyway. Well, there were. It's actually slowed right. down a bit recently, I've noticed, because there was a frenzy, I don't know, six months or a year ago where everything was a poll. And I think people started to get bored of that. But um, there seems to be a few less out there today. Um, 
One of the things that you've mentioned a few times in your posts is about how important it is to comment on other people's posts. Can you expand on that? Yeah, that's hugely important to me because that's how I think a lot of people, when they first want to get into content creation, they struggle with what to write and how to write and whether they're going to be any good at it. They don't know where to start. I think one of the biggest things you can do and what I did is comment on other people's posts and especially people who get a lot of engagement. And I always, I have a general rule that I tell people that is if you're going to like a post, you better have something to say about it because just liking it isn't going to get you anywhere. You want to get on there. You want to be present there. And it even really helps if you follow people you really like to get on there first. And I know that sounds like it's a race or something like that, but it really is. Like if you want, if you want to be engaged and have that person reach back out to you and then get in a discussion with people, you got to be on there first and comment and say something insightful and don't just say a great post. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. You have to develop the conversation a little bit further and add something um, and not just say, great, or that's right, or well done. Um, one of the things I'll say about your posts, which is a compliment, is that you actually sound like a recruiter who's been doing this job for a lot longer than just a year. And you're posting some some very interesting stuff. Like you posted that everyone wants unicorn candidates with 100% of the requirements. And in this market, it's very difficult. Your recommendation is deprioritize years of experience and focus on soft skills. You can train software, but you'll have a hard time training mindset. And I think the other way that people have been describing this phenomena recently is hire for attitude, train for skills, right? Yeah, absolutely. I do think, you know, that I, I wrote that post and I do feel really strongly about that. I do think it's something that it's not going to work for every single company uh, because it's going to be small companies who just can't afford to bring people that don't have the skills they need right away. But I think especially with the bigger companies, which tend to be the ones that I've, I've worked with both in my agency and the company I work with now, is you really have to stop making every single requirement like a must-have on the job posting. Because if you have the time to train and the money and the capital to do so, I think it's worth looking at people who don't tick every box so that they can grow into the role. And those will be some of your most loyal people. And the people who want to work the hardest because they've got something to prove. And the people who are slightly easier to find than the people who've obviously been doing that specific job for the last five years who may not even want a lateral move anyway. So I think you have to be offering career progression these days and you have to sort of think, what does this person look like maybe six months before they become proficient in this role? And let's go and source some of those people. And then you've really got something powerful to share. Yeah, absolutely. That That's a huge part of it is, is having people in there that you've trained into the role and really develop their careers because they had the attitude coming in by ne not necessarily all the skills to succeed. Yeah. Another one of your posts, which resonated with me was the one about what to do when you find a really interesting article, instead of just reposting the article, summarize it and sort of put some bullet points, point one, point two, point three, and just your summary of the article can be a lot more powerful than in fact, sharing the article itself. Right. And plus LinkedIn doesn't particularly want you to take your followers or your connections off the LinkedIn platform anyway. Yeah, that's a huge part. And I actually had uh, in one of my many networking calls, another recruiter, actually, her name is Maite, and she's actually a pretty prolific content creator as well. She's the one who actually told me that. And it was that, you know, LinkedIn deprioritizes stuff that's outside links. And it really just got me thinking about how to do it then. And the real goal when you post an article is to share your own insights from it, because that's what's going to 
bring people in and engage them with the topic at hand and even ending it with a call to action, like a question, like, what do you think? Or even a more specific question so that people will start engaging in the post. And that's really important because I'll see a lot of recruiters or other type of people. And it's clear that they're using some sort of content generator uh, where they're just trying to build their SEO or whatever they're trying to do. And all it is, is it'll just say like one sentence and then the post of whatever the article is. And I'm like, I really don't think that's that's getting what you think it's getting. It's it's only it looks like it's really obvious that that's what it is and you're not going to get much engagement from a post like that. Right. How do you think your content or how do you create content that's going to resonate with the type of people that you want to sort of be listening to you? And by that I mean you're a recruiter, you must be recruiting specific types of individuals. Surely you want to target those types of people when you're developing content, yeah? Absolutely. And I think, again, that's a that's a slow game because I'm still learning on that. Being so new to the role is a lot of my content from the beginning was content that wasn't necessarily about recruiting. It was about helping me meet people and engage with people. And now I've been learning to try to pivot some of that content to be more in the fields that I'm trying to recruit in, whether it's marketing or finance or something like that. And that's really it's a difficult thing to do to completely pivot your content strategy. And that's why I want to focus more on being strategic with it, still trying to keep the the authenticity and the engagement with people, but to try to be more strategic so that I'm targeting the people I actually want to target. Right. And once you demonstrate your sort of prowess in the niches that you're actually recruiting in, then you can start speaking to that audience specifically, and they're going to start paying more attention when your posts come out, whether it's a marketing post or a finance post, and then people will start to expect that really good stuff from you. I think that's a really important part of creating content is remember who your target audience ultimately is and start to sort of pivot or create content that meets specifically their needs and, um, you know, interests them, entertains them, educates them, etc. I did want to add a, a piece to that, though, is that it's important to target and be strategic. But I think it's all about what we've been saying. The This whole discussion here is it's really about putting out content that, you know, will benefit those people and really help them with what they do and get them to engage and discuss. And like you said, it's scary to do, but you got to drop that mindset of like, I'm putting out this content so that people will come and I can recruit them. It's you really have to pivot it to be, I'm creating this content to help people in whatever field I'm in and to really benefit and contribute to the conversation. And that will get you far more engagement and far more enjoyment overall. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it one step further. I'm creating and sharing content to build relationships that ultimately may lead me to some of my goals, but primarily I'm building relationships that will then allow me to have conversations and maybe have transactional conversations. But until I build that relationship and I show myself as a trusted advisor in that space, it's going to be much harder to transact those individuals from a position of, of true trust, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really the whole goal. Is you're, and that's like I said, the whole point of me getting to recruitment is to continue doing that relationship building. I saw that as an avenue to continue doing that. And that's why I'm here. And, you know, it's kind of slipped away from me in a little bit. So I'm trying to get back into that process and that mindset. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is cadence. You have to be predictable. Once you start posting, once you start posting regularly, um, Jesse Tinsley's a good one. He posts, I think, every single day. And you know, it's good stuff. It's provocative stuff. And I think once people expect 
to see you. They want to see you. And that's when you really start sort of, you know, building your, your brand and creating that level of recognition um, that ultimately will pay off when you want to have those conversations, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole reason you're you're building your brand is so that when you reach out, you have some cachet or some stuff that you can say. I think it's also it helps with you just connecting with somebody. You're not necessarily trying to reach out to them. I'll do that with some of the people that will say no to me or something. I'll be like, hey, I'm going to send you a connection request. You know, I post a lot on there. I'd love to have your engagement. And that's just so you can have something that people can look at. And they say, oh, this is not just some guy who's pitching me whatever role. He actually does stuff and he cares about what he's doing. And that's why it's important to have that content that you're regularly posting. Brilliant stuff. Um, so what are you excited about for the rest of the year? Uh, I'm excited to get more strategic about my content. That's certainly the biggest thing. And like you said, uh, Justin, Justin Welsh is a big one for that. And I, I plan to look at some of his courses. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see where this role in recruitment goes. I, you know, I've enjoyed it. It's basically what I expected in a lot of ways. And so I, I enjoy that about it. And I'm really just curious to see where it goes and where it takes me on my next steps. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Michael Boynton, for coming on Recruiting Trailblazers. Very brave of you to come on with a year's recruiting experience. And uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And I think everybody who's listening will agree. Um, it's a great idea to follow. Michael Boynton on LinkedIn, and you can reach out to him, B-O-I-T-N-O-T-T. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I was totally honored when you asked me. And the funny thing about our conversation was I didn't go in with that into that conversation with the expectation of you putting me on the podcast, but here we are. That speaks to everything that we've just been talking about right there. So thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. Cheers.